Wow, we have been so blessed this morning with such great singing. And it's good to see Patty bounce up to the piano and bounce back with her knee replacement. Morning, God is good. Amen. Who's that? Hannah? We got the amen corner back there. So, well, it's good ever to see everybody here this morning. And God has truly been exalted in this place. We exalt you, Lord. He is high above the earth. And we are here to continue to learn to praise Him and to love Him and to love each other. And one of the ways, one of the ways that He's given us to do that is by gifting us with the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. As I was kind of thinking through Paul's words, because really from here for the rest of the book, he... He, um, the, the theme is the same. False teachers have come into the church. They've undermined his authority. And he wouldn't ordinarily talk about himself, but because when you, under, there, when you undermine the messenger, sometimes the message gets undermined. And so he's standing up for himself in order to stand up for Christ. But isn't it interesting that we wouldn't have these words at all if the Corinthians would have, rather than embracing the false teachers with open arms, discerned that their teaching was false and discerned that they were undermining a true servant of God and just said, no, thank you, you, you may be on your way. But because they embraced him, we have Paul's defense, his arguments, and his exaltation of Christ. And it's a reminder that the, the New Testament it's just not a theology book. These are real life happenings and experiences. Like, so what we read this morning really happened. And there are struggles that churches have in this world. You know, we, we are not perfect. Even Christians aren't perfect. And so it's just a good reminder. Even though sometimes it seems like we're far removed from what happened in the New Testament. Because... It seems ancient to us and the culture is so different and sometimes the vocabulary is different. It is very, very relevant to who we are and what Christ wants us to become. So we found that Paul, in order to defend himself, he's writing in such a way to point out how he indeed is different than these other servants, that he stands out. And yet rather than showing the difference between them in his extraordinary successes. In other words, he doesn't talk about all the miracles that he performed and they didn't, or all the churches that he planted and they didn't. He talks about his sufferings. And I'm not going to go back and read them, but Paul has suffered tremendously, extraordinarily, and he mentions those, we think because when it comes to false teachers, which means I'm pretending to be something I'm not, there's just this principle, and it's, it's not just in ministry, but it applies to every area of life, that when you're pretending and the going gets tough, usually you bail. If you're not in it for the right reason, suffering has that effect on us. It, it reveals our hearts. It's just a kingdom principle. Suffering reveals our hearts. It reveals what our true motive is. And the, the idea is that when the going gets tough, if you're in it for only what you can get and not what you can give, then your ministry 
or what your career or your endeavor will be short-lived. Because in particularly when it comes to ministry, we will suffer. Now, hopefully none of us will suffer like the Apostle Paul. But in some way, we will suffer for the Lord. And he makes it clear that if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, you can expect some kind of suffering. And we'll look at that kind of from a little bit of a different angle this morning. But you will suffer. I'm sure that many of you have suffered in your own way for the Lord. I do want to read one more modern case, just a brief paragraph, a few sentences of some, mo- some modern day suffering. People do suffer extremely for their service to God. And one of the most popular people today is Richard Wormbrand. Perhaps you've heard of him. And he wrote a book, Tortured for Christ. And here's what it says. Here's what he endured. And I think he's still living. Is he still living? Tortured for Christ? Um, No. Voice for the martyrs. So months of solitary confinement, years of periodic physical torture, constant suffering from hunger and cold, the anguish of brainwashing and mental cruelty. These are the experiences of a Romanian pastor during his 14 years in communist prisons. So this is a part of our life. It's a part of what it means to be a Christian. And, and the Lord forbid that any of us would have to endure these kind of sufferings, but it's not off the plate. And we just need to know that. Now my suffering, I'll share one with you this morning. It's a, it's a notch down from Richard Wormbrandt. It's not quite at that level. But, but I had to suffer... Um, in particularly one Sunday morning while I was preaching. And uh, earlier in that week, I had developed a, a mouth sore, an ulcer on the side of my tongue. You getting nervous, Corky? Yeah, because you're in this story. <clears throat> you know, and it, it's stress-induced, and every once in a while I get them, and this one was just, it's like an open wound on the side of your tongue, and it was excruciatingly painful just to speak. And it, Saturday was, ha- you know, this was Saturday, it was getting worse. So I thought it was only fair that I warn Corky Abernathy that there is a chance that I may not be able to preach the next day. Not so much because I couldn't take the pain, but because I, I couldn't hardly talk. And so I called him on the phone, and I said, this might be a distraction to the people, and I don't want to be a distraction to the people. And it was just the, the eye-watering, face-wincing pain, true suffering, true suffering. And Corky said, don't you worry a bit, that kind of talking doesn't bother me at all, I'll help you in any way I can. That's what good friends are for. And so that, okay, with that answer, uh, I was able to, by God's strength alone and Corky's encouragement, and admonition was able to bring the word that Sunday. But sometimes we just have, when we serve the Lord, we got to go for it. We, we live a life of obedience and let the chips fall where they may. And sometimes it's, it's a joy unknown. A joy that we've never experienced. And sometimes it's a grief that we've never experienced before. But God is in it all. 
and we are created for His glory. And we just soon learn now up front in our Christian walk that sometimes God gets more glory in our suffering than He does in our prospering. No matter what suffering we have endured, any level, Christ knows about it and it counts. So in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is not finished talking about what he has endured and his sufferings. Although this morning he um, does experience tell the story of a more positive experience. It wasn't suffering at all. But I just want to remind us how important this book is. And you know, even I think, man, the the rest of the chapter is about false teaching and Paul's trying to reestablish his position and he talks about his life. But I'm reminded that uh, this is is the same God. That what what, what we're reading about this in this area, it's the same God. We serve the same God. And that same God ministered to the apostle. And we have the same temptations. And even today we have false teachers that we have to look out for. These kind of things can happen in church. It can de- destroy a church. And it's the same enemy. And so we can only stand to learn by looking at this and even hearing the Apostle Paul's personal stories because they disciple us, they mentor us. This is how he fielded the challenges that came his way. One of the things I love about Christianity is that you can be, you're in it, God calls us in it, and we don't understand all that everything that's going on. We don't understand everything in God's Word. There's mysteries, there's complexities, and yet we get to be in it and still enjoy what little bit we do understand. And so what a gift it is for God to have revealed His wisdom and His sacred writings to us. May we be discipled by them this morning and be prepared by them, uh, might even say combat ready. Because we may not be experiencing what we will read this morning right now, but that doesn't mean that it's not preparation for what might be in our future. So we will be challenged, I trust, by this text. Rather than reading the whole thing, I'm just going to start with verse 30 and and, uh, examine that, and then we'll move on from there. So here's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That God the Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands." So there's Paul boasting in the most humble way that you possibly can talk about yourself. And he is giving us a context for his suffering and his boasting. And he wants us to know that even though he's boasting about his suffering, it's not to make much of himself. Because all of these sufferings, really they're not... Some of them are not much to talk about. And he gives this example of Damascus, his experience in Damascus. And all that Paul suffered, you know, sometimes we could, even in our sufferings, let's just say we didn't talk about our accomplishments, but even in our sufferings, we could be arrogant about that. And we could start rolling up our sleeves and showing this battle scar for serving 
the Lord. I mean, he had scars. He, he was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned. He had, he had some kind of you know, emaciation and deformities in his body from the hardships that he had. So he could have started pointing those out and gone toe-to-toe. And we can get prideful and arrogant about our boo-boos. Who has the most boo-boos, as Ava would say. But just so we're clear in that he's not bragging about the purple hearts. Uh, probably a wall full of purple hearts that he could have received for his valiant and courageous behavior. It wasn't, it's not like that. And so he purposely gives a story that is a story of suffering that he escaped. And in a sense, it can be humiliating in how he escaped this. He was lowered. So first, he was lowered down. Let me just give you a little uh, preparation or bring us up to speed on this story. What he's talking about in Damascus. And it's kind of so hard to picture that he says, I'm not lying. Now, when somebody tells you they're not lying before they tell you something, you kind of know that it's going to be a doozy. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And he proceeds to tell the story of the day that he was delivered from his enemies in Damascus. He's in a city, and in that day the cities were great, and the walls were, were very wide, 30, 40 feet wide. They were so wide, in fact, that they were not only for protection, but You lived in the walls. People of the city lived in the walls. And so on the exterior and the interior of the walls, and you can see this even in in some cities today that were preserved, you had windows because people lived there in the walls. The Apostle Paul had enemies in this city. He was preaching the gospel. He's teaching the teachings of Christ and the commandments of Christ. Not everybody appreciates that because it confronts us with things and the need to change and to worship the God that we were created to worship and so he had enemies and they were after him and they meant him harm they were after his life so how did he escape well he went into hiding and he climbed into a rope basket probably with some kind of cloth over him or something to conceal him and out of one of the windows of the dwellings in this city wall few friends that he had there they lowered him down in secret and he was able to get out of this rope basket and in stealth move away and escape from his enemies the reason he's bringing this out is because his sufferings in his life for Christ it wasn't all this like superhero valiant kind of fighting he's saying look I hid and I was lowered down in a basket and I escaped now, the kind of superhero uh, suffering that we may have preferred to see, you know, if he, was, if he was that kind of powerful person, then the story would have been told in a different way, and he would have said, I had enemies in the city, lots of them, but behold, the power of God came upon me, and I tore off my shirt, and I bore my weapons, and I went to battle against these enemies, and I slew my enemy, and I walked out of that city a free man. He didn't do that. And he's telling it like it is. Because it could be looked upon as cowardly, but it wasn't cowardly. It, was he, he, it wasn't his time to die. But we can even be arrogant about the other side. See, human nature can get us go, coming and going. So he wants to set 
the record straight. He's not boasting. He's not making much about himself even in his suffering because it wasn't all like that. He's not invincible. He's not some kind of supernatural hero. He's just a clay pot, he's already told us. I'm just a vessel. God uses me. I, I do what I can through the power of Christ. He's already admitted to us in this book, lest we hold him in too high of esteem as if he was otherworldly or too godlike, he gets discouraged. There have been terrible days in his Christian life. He, he's sometimes despairing. He has no strength left. He doesn't know what to do. It's like he's completely empty, and it's important that we know that about this great servant of God. His greatness comes from God. It's not from anything in and of himself. And so he's giving us examples of that. It's not like, but the Apostle Paul was so great. For Paul, it's always, but God. But God was so great. God was so powerful. I was just this weak vessel. But God did this in me, even though I had no grit left to move on or press on. The Apostle Paul suffered. You know, it's interesting that in Paul's conversion, when God called him, on that road to Damascus, as a matter of fact, he didn't just save him from his sins. He told him what his life was going to look like and that he would be used to evangelize the Gentiles and suffer. Jesus said, I'm going to show him what he can suffer for my name's sake. So that was his part of his calling in Christ, and it certainly came true. Second, so Paul's lower down, he's humbly lower down. Second, he's lifted up. Chapter 12, I must go on boasting. And though there's nothing to be gained by it, I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Now whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was called up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Some observations about that. Of course, he's talking about himself. And one of the things he says is that I'm going to share something, that an experience, a spiritual experience I had, but nothing can be gained by it. What does he mean by that? This might have been the first time he ever shared it. We don't really know. It happened, uh, what, 14 years ago. And what he's saying is that you, you don't make this, I'm not sharing this with you to make much about it. I'm not sharing this experience with you to get fixated on it. You, you haven't lost out by, if this is the first time you've heard it. You're not missing out on anything. It was an experience that happened with me and it was so spiritual that I don't even know if it was body, spirit. Did, did it happen down here? Was it all in my head? I don't know. It was real and it was incredible, but it's meant to be between God and I. 
It's not meant for you to have all the details about it so that it becomes your experience as incredible as it was. And basically it's for me, not for you, but I'm going to share it because it's important at this point, this point in my testimony. It's not like the revelation that you would miss out on if you didn't have it, God's revelation. This is just my experience that I have had. And so there's no need to say, well, uh, then what do I need to do that to have that kind of experience? Because I would like to have that kind of experience. It's not a teaching on that. Don't, don't, you know, what, what clothes, we get fixated on these kind of things. What scripture did you read that day to be elevated into the third heavens? I want to do that. Or what clothes were you wearing? Or what were you praying? What did you did? do? What, I want the external formula so I can make this happen. And Paul is trying to avoid that. That's not the kind of purpose or gain it is. It's not what Bible translation you were reading or anything. Now, he makes it clear that this was a glorious experience. This was an incredible experience. Spiritual, a heavenly, otherworldly type experience. So incredible that he can't really even put it into words. It's like the human language can't contain this experience that he had. That's how awesome it was for him. Indescribable, we say. Well, this truly is indescribable. And it's not even meant to be communicated in words that can be duplicated because, again, it was meant, it was between he and God. It was a personal experience. So Paul also, notice this, will only talk about it from a point of weakness. I mean, if anybody could boast about their accomplishments in the Lord or even how God ministered to him, it would be the Apostle Paul. And he insists on looking at life through his eyes from a point of weakness so that God gets the glory. He is so careful to make sure that anything that happened to him, God gets the glory for it because that's the reality of the issue. He doesn't want people to misunderstand or think that it was something that he possessed. I refrain so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. See it for what it is. Keep it real. In Christianity, authenticity is so important. Being honest with ourselves, our place in life, who God is to us, our strengths and our weakness, authenticity is extremely important. It's part of the journey. It's not how great Paul is, but how great God is. He's the one that's so special and incredible. So the Apostle Paul was lowered down in the basket, and then he was lifted way up and exalted in this vision, revelation, experience that he had. And then, lastly, he's lowered back down. Verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that's a packed passage right there. We could spend a lot of time. Like what, what is the thorn here? You know, um, but we're not going to get into all of those details here. I want to just kind of go straight for the heart of the passage. And, and that's what Paul is trying to avoid. By the way, the thorn, whatever it was, and we'll look into it a little bit, but whatever it was, we are at least given the exact reason why he received it. It's to keep him from becoming conceited and arrogant. It's to keep him real before the Lord. So, what place does suffering have, at least in this instance of the Apostle Paul's life? It's to keep him genuine. To keep the real picture of who is surpassingly great, and that is God. So even though he had this otherworldly experience, which was incredible and unique, so unique, in fact, that he was given something to keep his feet on the ground, and that was the thorn. So what is it? What's the purpose of it? Why would God allow this kind of thing to happen to his precious children, even to the point where when they pray, I'm sure he prayed like God instructed him to pray with a clean heart. Please, this is too much for me to bear. Please remove it, Lord. He knew who to pray to. And why would God not remove it? Well, let's look at the, the weaknesses here and their source. When, talk, when Paul talks about this weakness, this thorn in the flesh, it's kind of like grouped with other things. So at least we get an idea, of whether it's a physical or spiritual malady, at least we get an idea because it's grouped in with these specific weaknesses that he told us about in verse 10. So these are the kind of things that happen to him. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now they'll, they'll knock us down, right? They'll weaken us, these kind of things. What are insults? That's when people uh, say things about you to knock you down, to make you look crazy or weird or less of a person, some kind of nut case. They insult you. Hardships are when things uh, in life circumstances just work against you. Hardships are real. Circumstances sometimes do work against it. Didn't ask for it. Wasn't expecting it. But man, it just came my way and now I got to deal with it. Persecutions are when people hurt you or wound you or exploit you. They're, exploit you. they're, they're aimed at you. They're personal. They're painful. Abuses. Um, har harmful treatment, personal attacks against us. Calamities are those things that, that really weigh us down because they're the, the tragedies of life. I mean, it was a calamity, a tragedy happened. And that can, has the potential to really, really take us out. Circumstances that can be absolutely crushing. So, what, so these are the things that are uh, happening in the Apostle Paul that are causing this weakness. Sticks and stones do break our bones. They have an effect on us. So we can't completely deny them or ignore them because we're human. Words matter. Language matters. The way we treat each other absolutely matters. And these are examples of how not to treat each other because they knock us down. But let's think about this. First of all, they're not sins. 
The weaknesses are not sins. Now, sin is a weakness. We have a weakness for our proclivity to sin. But these are things that are, have been brought into Paul's life that are bearing down on him, and it's not because of things that he, had, he has done wrong. It's because of the world that he lives in and the God that he has decided to chase after. These kind of weaknesses. They, they, they push down as opposed to lifting us up. But isn't it interesting that there are circumstances in our lives that can happen that can have two different effects. One of those is to uh, cause us to be crushed and barely be able to get over this point of life. And another is to become arrogant as if we're something special. And yet both of those are forms of pride. So if we, in our failures, when we, we fail to forgive ourselves, that's a form of pride because in a sense we're saying we were too good. This should have never happened to me. I'm too good. And so I'm stuck on myself. I can't forgive myself because I have such a highly uh, high elevated view of myself that I can't even believe that I was a part of this thing. Whereas the other side can come where we are prideful and arrogant and think that we're special because of special things that happen to us in our lives. Uh, sometimes people, we, we can start feeling invincible because you've been spared from this or spared from that. And really it's just God's grace, but we can take it personal as if we are something outstanding, God's gift to the world. That's not what Paul's saying. He could have said that. Man, look, man, I survived this. I survived that. Nobody in here survived all these things. I must really be special. He comes at it from a point of treatment, uh, from weakness, and he doesn't get the special treatment. For his special experience, he doesn't get the special treatment. What does he get? He gets the thorn to keep him grounded, to prevent arrogance. And what a lesson that is in and of itself that God... Apparently, God thinks pride is so dangerous and so destructive that somehow he's involved in this thorn of the flesh to keep his servant grounded. So the, the thorn is not for his harm. It's actually for his good to prevent the destruction from the results of an arrogant, prideful life and attitude. That's from heaven's perspective. This, these are not the things that we would conclude on our own. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. We don't have to wonder about that part of it. It's right in there. Does God care about our levels of arrogance and pride and boasting and how we look at life and ourselves? Absolutely. Will God, out of His love and mercy, bring things into our lives to keep us from destroying ourselves through our prideful thoughts? Absolutely. Now, it gets a little confusing here. Wait a minute. Is this from Satan or God? Well, Satan sent it. That's clear. But God's involved in it. That's clear. And you get into the teaching in Scripture that we find Satan means it for your harm. And yet God means it for your good because God is sovereign. God uses all things that he's created to bring himself glory. 
even the enemy, Satan. God's that good. And so Satan brought this thorn to, to wear Paul down, to prevent him from serving the Lord, and yet it was just the opposite from God's perspective. No, this is help to help you continue to be a powerful servant, to continue to minister in weakness for my name. See, God is also at work here. So it's twofold source, God and Satan, and a twofold purpose. Now, Satan is all about pride, right? He wants to produce pride in us because he's out to maim, kill, and destroy. God is out to produce in us humility, just the opposite. And because it doesn't always come natural, we don't always submit ourselves to it, God is not above bringing circumstances and people and things into our lives to keep us humble. I'm sure if you're a Christian, you have experienced that. And there's some times in life where I make this connection. Man, I did not like that, but I had it coming to me. I need, that's exactly what I needed in my life to keep me grounded. God is a good God. So God uh, produces, um, or you could say the enemy wants to produce pride, and God wants to reduce the pride that is in our hearts. John Piper says, God appointed the thorn of Satan for the work of salvation. The Apostle Paul prayed and God said, no. No. Not this one. This is one that you will carry. This thorn. So God permits Satan to send it. Why? To, to hurt Paul? No. To promote the goodness of Paul and the goodness of the kingdom. God's all about his kingdom. So he uses weaknesses, insults, hardships, calamities. He uses these things in our lives for his kingdom purpose. And sometimes the things that we pray God would remove in our lives are the very things we need that we might not destroy ourselves based on the path that we're on or the thinking that we have about God or life. And I'm grateful that I have a God that knows way more than me and a God that doesn't listen to me in my emotional moments unless I speak truth and know what's right. So God takes great steps actually to spare us from things that could be even more harmful or things that we would face. We're designed to showcase Jesus in this world. Right? Light. Light to the world that he might see our, they might see our good deeds and do what? Praise our Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16 So we are designed to showcase and sometimes the greatest showcasing of the reality of Christ and the power of Christ to change a heart is when we praise him through hardships. When we recognize our own weakness. We don't have to try to pretend we're something that we're not. God's words were, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Well, if that's the case, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. If you are a believer, 
you're a believer, God is at work in you right now in your life, no matter how old or young, no matter what experiences or hardships or circumstances, to display His greatness. Because He is a great God. And He has chosen you to display His greatness. That the lost might be saved and that He may be worshipped and adored for the God that He is. Sometimes He gives us the strength to do things that are incredible and sometimes it's what we lose. That's incredible. So our pilgrimage, that's our pilgrimage. We can face any kind of thing and all that's in between these things. God is glorified when little shepherd boys slay giants. When shepherd boys bring little rocks to a sword fight. And God is also glorified when His prophets are sown into. Sown into? Did I say that right? Sown into? Is that what's good? No. Sawn into. Thank you. When they're sawn into, maybe they sew them back together and God would get glory in that too. So it's His power. You see the message here? To the Corinthians. It's, it's His call, it's His grace, it's His power. And it's to the glory of God that we are lowered down and that we are lifted up. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning.